Our main passage this morning is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and I would encourage you again to let us read it all together as it is printed at the bottom of your bulletin on the side of the order of worship. Exodus 20, verse 12. Let us read this aloud. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we look together at your word this morning, we have a sense of joy in our hearts. We ask you to increase that joy because we are coming together to look at your word which is capable of making us the people that we currently are not. As you are capable of using your word and you will use your word and do use your word to cleanse us. Even as we go to the sink and wash our hands This is something that we are able to do, to use soap, to use water, to remove the dirt from our hands. But the dirt that is in our hearts, in our lives, that is a part of our souls, Lord, is something that we cannot remove without your help. As we examine your word this morning, Lord, we ask (coughs) that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to learn your word in order to apply it, that the dirt the sin in our lives and in our hearts would be removed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask, Lord, that my words might be faithful in keeping with your word, that I would speak accurately, that I would speak so that you are glorified, because your word and you alone are holy. In Jesus' name, amen. You will find... A reasonably detailed outline of the message this morning in your bulletins. This is the second part of um, the series, the mini-series within the bigger series within the bigger series, which is we are looking at the Ten Commandments. And we are looking currently, obviously, at the commandment, honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. The first message in this series was on authority as a whole. The second message this past week included those uh, items in the outline that are in italics, in the insert in the bulletin. (coughs) And today we move on to complete the responsibilities of parents and those in authority. You see in the title of the message, Honor Parents, Honorable Parents. Those two are inextricably linked. Children are to honor parents. Parents are to be honorable. Those in authority are to be honorable. After the events of this past week regarding the O.J. Simpson trial out in California, it is perhaps encouraging to note that the Menendez brothers are coming to trial again. Are you ready to turn on your TVs and watch the next episode in California law? Fortunately, that will not be possible in this case is that is one courtroom that will not feature cameras to broadcast the events for the public to decide. The Menendez brothers are, of course, the two young men who murdered their parents. There's no dispute about that. The issue is whether they did it for the purpose of receiving the wealth of their parents early or because they were persecuted by their parents and feared for their very lives and acted in self-defense. This, of course, is the second trial for both men because the first trials ended in hung juries, juries in which those on the jury panel were unable to agree about a verdict. 
And today I'm not offering comfortable words. Those are uncomfortable words, but disturbing words, because we live in disturbing times. However, the joy that comes to us is that in this age, as in any age, if we look at God's word, we have the sieve through which we can pass the events of our times, the events of our lives, the decisions of our lives, in order to make sense, to come up with a fine material at the bottom that shows us exactly what is going on today in our times. What is it that we have to face? Why? We look around and we lament the sins of our age. We lament the failures of justice, the disgraces of our world, the cruel, uncaring tone of life today. Yet we find again <clears throat> that in Scripture God has described the world of today. And he not only describes the world of today because it is just exactly like the world of yesterday, but he also explains how it has come to be such a place as it is. <clears throat> Look with me, if you would, and if you have a Bible, at Isaiah 3. I'm going to be reading Isaiah 3, 1 through 15. I'd encourage you to turn and read along as I read aloud. Isaiah 3, 1 through 15. This is a description of world many ways just like ours. Isaiah 3. See now, the Lord, the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. All supplies of food, all supplies of water. The hero and warrior, the judge and prophet, the soothsayer and elder, the captain of fifty and man of rank, the counselor, skilled craftsman, and clever enchanter. I will make boys their officials. Mere children will govern them. People will oppress each other. Man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old, the base against the honorable. A man will seize one of his brothers at his father's home and say, You have a cloak. You be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. But in that day he will cry out, I have no remedy. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. Verse 8. Jerusalem staggers, Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, they have brought disaster upon themselves. Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, disaster is upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. Youths oppress my people, women rule over them. O oh, my people, your guides lead you astray, they turn you from the path. <clears throat> Verse 13. The Lord takes his place in court, he rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. This is a powerful and damning passage, which speaks again of much of what is currently at work in our culture, just as it came to pass in the culture of Judah and Jerusalem. Why were Judah and Jerusalem turned on their head? Why did that nation come to ruin? <clears throat> Why were its leaders suffering? Look with me again at verses 8 and following to see the reasons. Jerusalem staggers, Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. 
The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Verse 13. The Lord takes his place in court. He rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your homes. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. These people are guilty of dishonoring, ignoring, and scorning the Lord. But we move further in this passage. And this is the, the point at which I turn away from this passage. But we move further in this passage to see that the leaders are the ones who bear the brunt of the punishment and the brunt of the guilt. We see also in verse 12, the end of verse 12, O my people, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from the path. Now this message this morning is not about dire consequences. It's not about woe and misery. But it is about this message, that leaders have a responsibility, whether they be parents, bosses, presidents, supervisors, grandparents, aunts and uncles, pastors, elders, teachers, teachers in schools, administrators, regardless of your position. If you are in authority, you bear and I bear a grave responsibility. And the honor (coughs) that we desire from those under our authority to show us will in great measure be determined by our honor, whether or not we are honorable people. That is why we have looked at the flip side of this coin in looking at this passage which is specifically directed at children and those under authority. Because we in authority have the responsibility to behave in honorable ways in order to make it easier for those under our authority to honor us. Now, it's one of those points at which you deliver one message to those in authority and another message to those under authority. Neither one is gotten off the hook by the failure of the other one. But today we are looking at those in authority. So we saw this past week that children learn how to honor their parents from their parents. Not only by the attitudes and actions of their parents, but also by the expectations that their parents have of them. And then we move to look at the environments that parents create. In other words, how can parents or those in authority, I'm broadening this, it should be broader than just parents, to include those in authority. How can those in authority create an environment in which honor comes naturally? Because that's what we want, right? If we are people in authority who desire to honor God and to be wise in authority, we don't want to beat people into honoring us. There's no benefit in that. We want them to honor us in part, first part, because we are honorable. We are worthy of it. And the two aspects that I emphasized this past week and must must continue over emphasizing this week is that the environment that those in authority must create if we in authority trust God is an environment in which God is placed first. We come to God's word to find out how we need to respond, how we need to react in authority or any other, other circumstance. This should be our first priority. We also, in creating an environment where honor comes naturally, 
need to demonstrate love throughout in everything biblical love even when it goes against the wishes of the child or the one under our authority putting the needs of those under our authority before ourself demonstrating a rightly ordered world in the home in the family and wherever we are in authority providing consistency and dependability and giving attention not neglect we move on today that the, to see that the environment that we must create is one in which we need to provide for the needs I'm going to use children because just going back between children and those under authority understand when I speak of children I'm speaking as this passage speaks of it as well as those under authority when I'm speaking of parents I'm also speaking of those in authority <clears throat> we need to be providing as parents for the needs of our children how do parents provide for the needs of their children by diligent work diligent work this encompasses every realm but by providing diligent work parents are teaching their children the value of work the value of property the value of diligence the value of integrity and therefore honor will come naturally back to the parents in these circumstances because the children will look at them and they will respect their parents because of the integrity the hard work the diligence that their parents are using in providing for their needs <coughs> imagine the future of the son of Aldrich Ames <coughs> who was convicted of spying against the US and will be unlikely ever to see the outside of a prison again in his lifetime his son a young boy will spend the next number of years two to five without either parent as his mother is in prison as well on some of similar charges when his mother gets out he will never enjoy the privilege of his father's company <clears throat> in everyday life because his father will live out his life behind bars because he committed a crime against our country a crime performed in the course of his work not only that think of the prospect of life with regard to this son of this man due to this crime the boy will know that because of the character of his father it would be an uncertain privilege at best were he to have his father in everyday life with him because of the dishonesty and the lack of integrity of that father this demonstrates to us the crucial nature of our providing for the needs of our children by our diligence our integrity our honesty if we provide those things we provide an environment where honor comes much more naturally <clears throat> we need to provide for the emotional needs of our children <clears throat> by making the provisions that love requires <clears throat> by giving loving affection by giving praise by giving all that provides a sense of worth to that particular child given his own particular situation his or her own particular situation strengths weaknesses abilities disabilities whatever that child's capabilities are <clears throat> we need to provide a sense of worth to him or to her this is providing for emotional well-being we may be dealing with children who have brilliant abilities brilliant intellect perfect physique we may be de dealing with children who have much less than brilliant 
intellect and abilities. And indeed, as well, physical disabilities. <clears throat> needs to be our concern as parents, it needs to be our concern as those in authority to provide for a sense of well-being and worth on the part of those under us. Many parents have neglected the education of their children in the joys of persistent and diligent work. It's interesting because we are a culture in which it is said that childhood has been taken away from children. We hear that, don't we? This is something that people are saying. Childhood has been taken away from children. Why? Because of the horrors that they are exposed to in our world today. <clears throat> because of the crime, such as the gangland warfare, which resulted in the death of a child of three several weeks ago. The drug use and abuse, sexual immorality, and perversions, which are reaching ever younger audiences on the street and via the computer and elsewhere. The break of their, of their lives due to the selfishness and uncontrolled living of their parents. Yet at the same time, we are also perpetuating childhood in our culture. When was the last time you heard of a child currently under the, years, under the age of 40 <clears throat> who raised her brother and herself because her parents died? Someone in her early teens who raised her brother and herself by going to work. <clears throat> Yet that's exactly what happened to my mother's mother, my grandmother. Her parents died in her mid-teens. She went to work in order to raise her brother, and she did so quite capably. And yet we say, <clears throat> in our world, childhood has been taken away from children. I'm not saying that this should happen in our day and age. The teenagers should be responsible to go to work to provide for their younger siblings. Only that in regard to those things that build self-worth and esteem, <clears throat> diligent hard work, faithfulness in caring for siblings, Adults today many times do not believe and do not practice that children should have any responsibilities in these areas. The word chores has gone out of vogue and become disused. So has the idea it expresses. The children have an important part to play in the upkeep of the family economy, in the upkeep of the home. <clears throat> and therefore a distinguished and worthwhile place in the family, valued by parents, siblings, friends, neighbors, guests alike. And so in many respects in our culture today, the emotional feeling of worth has been stripped away from children growing up today. The occasions for praise and natural thanks by the family to their children for their contributions to the functioning of the family have been diminished until they are getting fewer and fewer and less and less worthwhile. <clears throat> as a result, children receive praise when they receive it. They frequently perceive it as meaningless because it is based upon little things. Or they receive no praise at all because they are not allowed to or do not or whatever contribute. <clears throat> the same situation can destroy businesses and community relationships with dry rot from within. When those under the direction and authority of others fail to provide them with worthwhile work and meaningful responsibility, along with well-earned praise and the dignity of fair critique and valid criticism when the performance has not been up to what has been asked for and expected. 
And what happens in these circumstances? It is no wonder that people chafe and grow to disrespect their authorities. There must be a fine line, however, walked here between providing for the emotional needs of those under our authority and bludgeoning them into line in such a way that they are cowed or forced into rebellion. We not only need to provide for the emotional needs of our children, we also must provide for the physical needs. I don't believe that this area needs much further explanation, but we all know too well that this also is an area where the most callous for disregard disregard for children is occurring today among adults. What is the poorest class of people in our nation today? Children. As a whole, children. Parents and others in authority cannot, we cannot be content to see that our own physical needs are met first and our children's after us. In some circumstances, this is appropriate if the needs require it. But those who provide rich foods and clothes for themselves where their children are unkempt or satisfy their thirst for alcohol or drugs while they beg milk money for their children, and I use that example because on a regular basis people who are unknown to me from the community come to the church asking for money, for instance, for milk for their children, and I observe cigarette packs in both It's an ironic sort of thing. You don't have money for milk for your child, but you've got cigarette packs in both your sleeves. It doesn't make sense. Honor does not flourish in these circumstances. Think of the life portrayed by Charles Dickens in the books that he wrote about London and about England as a whole. He portrayed, he wrote in such a way to describe the horrors of life for the children of his time. Why was life so horrible for the children of his time? In many parts, because the gin house was the reality of life for many adults and parents in that day and age. And when they got their pay, they'd go straight to the, to the gin house and swill it down in order to deaden their dealing with the misery of their own lives and as a result the children were urchins out in the street who nobody cared for physical needs were not provided for nor were any other needs this lack of providing for physical needs is not just demonstrated in homes and families but it is also reflected if you think of the French Revolution largely caused by the perception of the common people that the aristocracy had nothing but callous disregard for the necessities of their survival, of the common people's survival. Tradition has it that when informed of the starvation of her people because they had no bread, Queen Marie Antoinette is said to have remarked, let them eat cake! Which is hilarious until you think about it from the standpoint of the people under her care. She couldn't care less. Now, this may not actually be a quote from her, but it's said to have been. Those under us, particularly our children, receive our first, should receive our first attention to their needs. What else do we need to provide? We need to provide discipline. In any circumstance in which we are an authority. Here especially, we emphasize the two guiding principles that are over all of these provisions that we make for our children. God and his ways must come first. Love must be demonstrated throughout. 
There's no contradiction between those two things. It's just the second one is, in many ways, a restating of the first one. Not quite so clearly. Because the second one does not mention God. Love is to be demonstrated throughout. But if God and his ways come first, then love will be demonstrated throughout. <clears throat> and here, too, we look back to that example that we looked at this past week, which is that this is an area where we see the importance of doing what is right for the child, not what he or she wants. Few people want to be disciplined. None of us do. None of us want to be corrected. We want to go along unchecked. Until we get to that point where we realize the results of going along unchecked. And then at that point, we may look back and say, boy, I wish I'd had it harder earlier. <clears throat> because now... If I was not disciplined, I am undisciplined. God requires that children receive correction of many sorts from their parents in order that they learn the importance and value of self-control and self-disciplines in obedience to him. <clears throat> we cannot let children go unchecked. It is no demonstration of love to let children go without correction or reprimand. Proverbs is full time and time again of scriptural admonitions regarding this. And what we are told on the flip side of this coin is that those who fail to discipline their children do not love them, but instead hate them. On the other side, is it is not love to whip children into cowed submission where they become incapable of growing and flourishing into healthy and independent adults. <clears throat> there are a number of biblical examples of men who let their children go unchecked. Two that came to my mind were the examples of Eli and David. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, the interesting thing about this example with Eli is that these two sons that God reprimanded and disciplined Eli for, and as a matter of fact, the ultimate result was that God removed men <clears throat> from the priestly line from Eli's family as a result of this. They were adults. And so God disciplined Eli and his family because of his failure to discipline his adult sons, which is extraordinary. It apparently extends our understanding of the point at which adults or parents have a responsibility over their children. Now, Eli also happened to be the high priest, the high priest, and his sons were priests under him. So it was also, in many respects, a work and a church situation. But God's words to Samuel was because he has not said anything to his sons and because he has not stopped them, I am going to do this to Eli and to his family. <clears throat> the example of David. What happened to him? Well, he sinned against God with Bathsheba and by killing Uriah. And as a result of this, perhaps as a result of this, perhaps it was all intertwined together, he failed to provide the leadership and the discipline that he needed for his sons. Absalom was an example. <clears throat> and Amnon was another example. These sons did what they pleased. And David suffered greatly. I'd like to point out here practical outcomes from these biblical examples. These outcomes <clears throat> can be seen in our own lives, in the world around us, with people who are our neighbors and our family members and perhaps ourselves today. There's probably no quicker way to lose the respect of a child than to fail to discipline him. 
Let me say that again. There is probably no quicker way to lose the respect of a child than to fail to discipline him. You can see the lack of respect. You can observe it in the actions of the child who is not caught up short because he knows when he is disobedient and he knows when he has gotten away from it. And he knows something is not right. It is also true that those under authority in other situations, that when people who are... If you fail to, to correct those who are under our authority in other situations other than the home, they will disrespect us. At the same time, children as quickly replace love and respect with fear in their response to parents whose only interaction with them is the lash of the tongue and the strap. These children quickly learn that their only means of survival is to stay out of the way of their parents. So we need to have balance in this, but we must provide discipline. <clears throat> we must also provide compassion, understanding, and respect. We need to refuse to take out personal frustrations on the children. This is something that when you have children in your home or those under your authority, you realize so easily at that point something you did not realize before, except for perhaps on the receiving end. It's so easy to do. It is so easy to have a frustrating day and go home. <laughs> I can tell you how it goes. <laughs> go home. <laughs> People in nursery are really going to wonder what I'm saying at this point. <laughs> you, everything is, is grouch, grouch, gripe, gripe, complain, complain, frustration. You didn't do that. You didn't do that. Shape up, line up. And it's all because of my frustrations. We need to refuse to take out our personal frustrations on our children. We need to refuse to goad. In other words, get along there. Get along there. Get along there. In a way that is not prodding them towards doing the right thing, but is just a nagging sort of thing. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We need to refuse to demean our children and those under our authority. When we were at Cape May, I saw an example of this from the negative standpoint. We went into a story, and I really, this is not something that I observe a whole lot in work situations, but we went into a store, and there was a man who was standing there and not really working much, and, and we were waiting on to be helped, and, and there was another young fellow over there obviously doing something, and the boss, the supervisor, turned around and said, Hey, so-and-so, can't you see that there's people waiting to be helped? Get over here. It's like, hold it. If you think I need to be helped, I didn't say this to him, but I felt like it. Don't demean this man, this younger fellow, who is doing a good job. When you... <laughs> we need to refuse to demean by making fun of children... There are many ways that we can do this. Making fun of them, mocking them, or in other ways, demonstrating lack of concern for them. Lack of respect for them. And we need to allow them to mature. Many parents have to be so tied up in the lives of their children that they never let them grow up. This is not providing for the needs of children. This is not providing compassion, understanding, and respect. Children need to mature, need to be given responsibility, need to be allowed to flourish into adults. We cannot hold them back. 
Now we look finally at the attitude that parents foster. <coughs> this is where we see the, exam- the, the importance of example. What is the attitude of parents towards authority, towards those in authority, to their own parents in honoring others? Example goes farther than words. If you want those under your authority to honor authority, to honor your authority, then you honor authority. They will see that by your example. And further, (coughs) the attitude parents foster is given by what they expect of their children. The attitude that they teach and demand of their children towards others. We as parents need to teach children to put others first. We also need to teach children to respect us as their parents. We need to teach them to respect others in authority. We need to teach this to them verbally. As in, you do not say that to your mother. You must say thus and such when you are given a command. Yes. You do not say, I'll do it later. That is not respect for authorities. Paul commanded Timothy to refuse to let others disrespect him. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. We see another example of this in Esther 1.18, when the queen refused to obey the commands of the king. And the the counselors got together and they said, This very day the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. You and I cannot ignore disrespect and disobedience because it leads to more of the same. And if you happen to, to be working together as a couple in raising children, that I would encourage you to work together as a team in which fathers teach the children to respect the mothers and vice versa. In closing, I want to speak a word about authority in general. We have a situation today in our world in which there does not seem to be a lot of loyalty or longevity. People don't remain in the same situation for long. People have no compunction of getting up and going to another job, another place of employment. <coughs> People have no compunction, those who are in authority have no compunction of when things get bad, letting those under their authority go and go someplace else. <coughs> Oftentimes the reasons are not economy or business fluctuations. Because we have gotten to a place in our world in which those in authority do not realize they have a responsibility of care and compassion to provide for the needs of those under them. Authority, whether it is that of a parent over a child, that of a husband in a home, that of a pastor, elder, or teacher in the church, that of a teacher with students, or administrator in an educational setting, that of a foreman, supervisor, boss, or president of a company, or on a board. Authority as God designed it is not perks and privileges, it is and you guess what I'm going to say? It is responsibility. It is not perks and privileges, it's responsibility. Christ is our authority. So what did he do? He gave up his glory. He gave up his position. He came here and lived on this earth. He gave up his life. He did not demand, he gave. 
That is God's way for all those in authority. Our responsibility in authority is responsibility. It's not to take the best and leave the rest. Let's pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would teach us what it means to be those in authority, that we might be godly in authority, and that we might be your people to bring blessing to those under us. In Jesus' name, amen.